spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. CannabisRadio.com presents The Russ Belleville Show The voice of the marijuana nation Hey, this is great, man Now, here's your host Radical Russ Belleville Good day, tokers and tokens And non-toking lovers of liberty It is Wednesday, January 13th, 2016 And it's got to be 420 Somewhere in the world Thanks for joining us here from beautiful Legal Potland, Oregon, where it is still about 40 degrees, rainy, windy, cold. We're loving it here. We love our winters here in Portland, Oregon. As long as you're not having to shovel the precipitation, it's not such a bad thing. Thanks for being here for our show. The next two hours, we're going to be covering the latest in marijuana news and information by, for, and about the cannabis community right here on CannabisRadio.com. So excited to be here today because we got some great stories. Uh, we're going to be bringing you an interview coming up at uh, half past, uh, actually a, a segment that I did earlier last year on life sentences for marijuana. That's right. People who are serving life sentences for nonviolent marijuana offenses. We're going to give you 10 stories of people who are doing life for pot who need to have their sentences commuted to be pardoned by President Obama before he leaves office. So check that out coming up at half past. Also on the show today, we'll have time for a radical rant. I was out at uh, Dante's last night for the Aaron Ross Who's the Ross show, which is uh, Portland's king of late night. And uh, he had a little comedy bit where... um, um, some fake members of the so-called Yalqueda, the Oregon militants that have uh, taken over the bird sanctuary in eastern Oregon, had some uh, some fake Oregon militants on stage uh, occupying his stage. And it got me to thinking about these militants, about these so-called militia types who claim to have such a love for the Constitution and hatred for federal tyranny. And it got me wondering, why are they never standing up against the tyranny of the federal drug war. We'll take a look at that coming up at the Radical Rant at the end of the show. Also on the show today, we're going to get into the drug war data mines because the Rocky Mountain High Intensity Drug Trafficking Area, the drug cops from Colorado and the Rocky Mountain region, have once again published another one of their so-called reports uh, trying to show how the sky is falling now that Colorado has marijuana legalization. In this latest iteration, they are claiming that more kids smoke pot in Colorado than any other state, that the whole state's gone to hell in a handbasket and the kids are puffing tough. We'll take a look at those numbers and put them into context compared to the rest of the United States to show just how they're trying to manipulate people with this latest report. Also on the show today, we'll get behind the headlines in our Cannabis Focus, where we take another look at the U.S. government and allowing the trafficking of legally purchased guns in the United States to go across the border to Mexico for the drug trafficking organizations, those drug cartels. This uh, was a big story a few years ago with the Operation Fast and Furious scandal where the uh, Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms were just letting firearms walk across the border uh, in the hands of some pretty bad people. Uh, the GAO, the Government Accountability Office, was tasked on following up on that. We've got their follow-up report that shows still 70% of the guns being used by the Mexican cartels 
were purchased legally in the United States of America. We'll get behind all of that data coming up in Behind the Headlines. But we start everything off with the Cannabis Radio News in the headlines today. Great news for California legalization with a major civil rights endorsement. We've got a lawmaker in Georgia moving forward with plans to grow marijuana for CBD oil. Vermont legalization is on the board. And we'll be taking a look at a study on cannabis and treatment of migraines. Also, data in from Washington, D.C. on the reduction in arrests since decrim and legalization. And Arizona is pretty close to making the ballot. Plus, we'll be here for hour two taking your calls live at 971-533-7111. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. MJWellness.com, the largest medical marijuana community in the world. Connect with thousands of patients, doctors, industry leaders, and businesses through shared personal experiences along our worldwide network. Discover new therapies and benefits with content tailored to you. Come grow your network on MJWellness.com. You're not alone. Your wellness matters. Learn, live, and thrive. Check out MJWellness.com today. Chronicling the latest cannabis industry news and headlines. Well, with four states with tax and regulate and the District of Columbia. The state of cannabis. Oh my God, it's refreshing. We have people that generally wouldn't speak on behalf of cannabis for fear of retribution, fear of losing your practices, fear of of many of those things, and and find ourselves in in a a place that we finally can. Bringing you fact-based news and views and keeping listeners on the pulse of what's happening in the industry today. The State of Cannabis. On demand anytime, only on CannabisRadio.com. Imagine life without taxes. Let New Era Certified Public Accountants, NewEraCPAs.com, handle your Cannabis 280E in tax strategy. Get your business prepared with New Era CPAs Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. NewEraCPAs.com, with years of experience in the industry, we are one of the nation's leading accounting firms for growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies from Washington to California. NewEraCPAs.com. It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Wednesday, January 13th, 2016. The California state NAACP approves a marijuana measure that would legalize the recreational use of marijuana for adults 21 and over. Members of the state branch of the Civil Rights Organization backed the Adult Use of Marijuana Act, the so-called Sean Parker Initiative, during a weekend leadership retreat. President Alice Huffman says legalizing marijuana is an important civil rights issue because pot-related arrests are racially biased and disproportionately affect blacks and Latinos. 
Backers of the recreational use measure are counting on support from minority voters to get the initiative passed in November. The state NAACP also endorsed a marijuana legalization measure that failed in California in 2010, a move that made Huffman the target of criticism for some of the church leaders. Pre-election surveys and exit polls showed blacks and Latinos opposed the earlier measure at about the same rate as whites. A Georgia lawmaker is moving ahead with the medical marijuana growth bill that would allow state licensed manufacturers of medical marijuana products to operate in the state. State Representative Alan Peake has officially filed a bill allowing between two and six medical cannabis manufacturers to be licensed by the state and serve people with certain medical conditions and registered with the state. Peek has said the system is based on Minnesota law. It includes a state system to track all marijuana plants and products and sets security standards for facilities. More than 100 House members have signed the bill, which could still face long odds of becoming law. Law enforcement organizations long have opposed any legal growth of marijuana in the state, and Republican Governor Nathan Deal also has come out against such a system. Supporters of Vermont legalization of marijuana have talked about a tightly regulated industry with permits for and size limits on grow operations and special stores to sell the drug. But now some are saying simple legalization of possessing small amounts would mark progress. The Senate Judiciary Committee heard testimony on Tuesday both for and against legalization. At a news conference following the committee's meeting, supporters of legalization continued to talk up regulation and taxation of the drug. But Laura Subin, an attorney and director of the Vermont Coalition to Regulate Marijuana, said it would mark important progress if lawmakers this year simply legalized possession of small amounts of the drug. She says further development of a regulatory system could be left for future years. Cannabis administration is associated with decreased migraine headache frequency, according to data published online ahead of print in the journal Pharmacotherapy. Investigators at the University of Colorado Skaggs School of Pharmacy and Pharmaceutical Services retrospectively assessed cannabis effects on monthly migraine headache frequency in a group of 121 adults. Study participants had a primary diagnosis of migraine headache, which had been recommended cannabis by a physician for migraine treatment, and had participated in at least one follow-up medical visit. Authors reported that 85% of subjects reported a decrease in migraine frequency, and 12% indicated that the use of cannabis prior to migraine onset would abort headache. In Washington, D.C., data provided by the Metropolitan Police Department shows that the total number of marijuana arrests by the department and other law enforcement officials in D.C. plunged by more than 80 percent between 2010 and 2015, from 1,378 recorded arrests to 234 as of January 6th. The totals provided represent arrests for both possession with intent to distribute and distribution. They're also based on unique arrest charges, so if an individual was arrested for both distribution and possession with intent to distribute, the arrest was only counted once under the more serious distribution charge. The district decriminalized marijuana possession in 2013 and legalized adult use, sharing, and cultivation in 2014. A spokesman for Arizona's leading recreational marijuana initiative says the measure has already collected about 140,000 of the 150,000 signatures necessary to get on the ballot, though the campaign intends to collect more than necessary to make up for signatures that get disqualified. The campaign has until July to collect the remaining signatures, making it highly likely that the measure will go before voters in November. Arizona is one of at least nine states that have pending recreational marijuana initiatives this year, including California, Massachusetts, Maine, and Nevada. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Wednesday, January 13, 2016. I'm Russ Belville.
Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. <laughs> what the hell are we paying you for? Are you stupid? Okay. Maybe you're high, too. Tokers, there's no good reason to get your dog stoned. While it might not harm them physically, imagine being a dog who already begs for treats all day, and then imagine that dog having the munchies. Not cool. The Fingerboard Extension has fretted instruments to enhance your creativity. It has new and used guitars and banjos from beginning to high class. The Fingerboard Extension has National Resophonic, Hassan Dalton, Larrabee, Heritage and Recording King guitars, and Mike Ramsey, Wildwood, Gold Tone, and Recording King banjos. The Fingerboard Extension also has drum stuff, used gear, and parts. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension, downtown Corvallis, Oregon at 120 Northwest 2nd, or check out the inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com and reverb.com. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in the Cannabis Focus, we want to talk about that uh, Operation Fast and Furious scandal that uh, plagued the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. A few years ago, back in 2009, the Government Accountability Office uh, was asked to undertake a study on this phenomenon where it was discovered that uh, firearms that had been seized in Mexico from drug trafficking organizations from the uh, cartels uh, were very uh, disproportionately coming from the United States, that the, the United States uh, legal gun dealers were uh, allowing, and the, and the federal government in some respects was also allowing these guns to make their way into the hands of these murderous Mexican criminals. So in 2009, they issued their first report on this. And now in 2016, we have a follow-up report. Uh, this report's entitled Firearms Trafficking, U.S. Efforts to Combat Firearms Trafficking to Mexico Have Improved, But Some Collaboration Challenges Remain. And the report says, according to data from the Department of Justice's Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, 73,684 firearms seized in Mexico and traced from 2009 to 2014, five-year period, originated in the United States. That's 70%, about 70% of all the guns they seized from the Mexican cartels came from the United States. They found 17%, about 17,500, came from places other than the United States, and about 13%, about 13.6,000, with undetermined origin. Couldn't figure out where they came from. So, there is the possibility that a significant portion of that 13% may also be U.S. firearms that, you know, the, the serial numbers filed off, or for some reason we can't tell exactly where it came from. According to ATF data, the firearms were most often purchased in the southwest border states, with about half of them being long guns, rifles and shotguns. About 40, a little over 40% of them coming from Texas, 
the other two highest states, uh, Arizona and California. And if you add New Mexico in there, it worked out to about three out of four of the guns seized in Mexico came from those four southwest border states. According to Mexican government officials, high caliber rifles are the most preferred weapon used by drug trafficking organizations. According to ATF data, most were purchased legally in gun shops and at gun shows in the United States and then trafficked illegally to Mexico. And so I know there's a lot of opinions in the cannabis community with respect to uh, the Second Amendment right to bear arms and all of that. the marijuana reform community is very interesting in that we attract people from kind of the, the edges of the political spectrum on the left and both and the right. So you can find two people who are in complete agreement on ending the war on drugs, who could be on opposite ends of the gun debate when it comes to being a gun nut or a gun grabber, depending on which pejorative uh, from your perspective makes sense. And I don't want to take it into that area because we're not talking about law-abiding U.S. citizens and their right to purchase and, and, and bear arms. We're talking about Mexican criminals. I think on, no matter which side of the aisle we're on on this, no matter which side of this issue we stand, we should all agree we don't want legally purchased American guns ending up in the hands of murderous Mexican criminals. So ATF and ICE, uh, Immigration's Custom Enforcement, have been working. And according to this report, they say they've made improvements, that there are fewer of these guns. Over the past two reporting periods, there's been a decline in the total number of guns seized. Now, that's a misleading statistic at times because it can also make a difference how active these uh, cartels are. You know, if they're if they're committing fewer shootouts, there's less chance to apprehend them and therefore fewer guns to be able to seize. So it may just be, you know, just because you go to the uh, river and you're catching more fish on day two, it doesn't mean that you're a better fisherman or that there are more fish could be on day one. You went there with a pole and day two, you went there with a net. The idea there, statistically speaking is just because the numbers of gun seizures have gone down in Mexico doesn't mean that fewer Mexicans are getting a hold of American guns. It just could mean there are fewer opportunities to interdict these guys, to seize the guns from these guys. Regardless, there's another trend that is very troubling to the folks at the GAO and our law enforcement in America. U.S. and Mexican law enforcement officials noted uh, that weapons parts are being transported to Mexico to later be assembled into finished firearms, uh, sending some of the plates and some of the parts with some of the drill holes missing. All you do is fill in a couple of the holes and put the thing together and you got yourself a semi-automatic weapon. So that is part of a problem. And another thing identified by GAO was overlap and jurisdictional conflicts between ATF, Immigrations and Customs Enforcement. So they have improved their collaboration. They're working harder. They've got now a national Southwest border counter narcotics strategy with ONDCP. And again, working to stem firearms trafficking to Mexico. Let's hope that everybody can get together on this and that we can agree as Americans that it's important that we defend our Second Amendment rights for our citizenry. 
but we need to take every effort we can to avoid arming the murderous Mexican criminals who are fighting on our side on against us in the drug war, against the consumers and the producers of drugs. Hey, you in my class? I am today. All right, welcome everybody. 20 after the hour, that means it's 420 Live in Denver, Colorado, Boise, Idaho, Cheyenne, Wyoming, Las Cruces, New Mexico, Flagstaff, Arizona, Provo, Utah. I think I got one in each of the mountain states. Happy 420, you guys. We'll be back with some drug war data mining for the Rocky Mountain area right after this. Hurry, its temperature is shooting past a thousand degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's orders. Less heat, <laughs> more flavor. The Russ Belleville Show. We're as much like Cheech and Chong as ordinary Americans are like the Three Stooges. Hey, Mo! The smoke is rising, and the next crop of podcasts devoted to cannabis providers and enthusiasts are ready to be harvested. Welcome to the Cannabis Radio Network, founded by respected rainmakers who have been producing award-winning podcasts for over a decade. Industry headlines, business updates, medical reports, marketing, and e-commerce education rolled up perfectly for your consumption. Let's grow together. The Cannabis Radio Network. CannabisRadio.com. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Welcome back, everyone. 23 after the hour here in the Drug War Data Mines. We're taking a look at the latest press release from the Rocky Mountain High Intensity Drug Trafficking Area. They're basically uh, the drug cops, uh, the sheriffs and the narcotics officers and whoever else still around there in Colorado and the rest of the Rocky Mountain states. But mostly in this report, they're focusing on Colorado because... Their jobs are on the line. Their livelihood is at stake. Marijuana legalization takes away one of their favorite tools for violating the Fourth and Fifth Amendment. It allows them to have a walking warrant on a leash called a drug dog. All these ways they can use marijuana prohibition to interfere with the the freedom of citizens goes away. 
and has gone away in the state of Colorado since legalization and threatens to go away elsewhere for law enforcement if this legalization train keeps on rolling. So the Rocky Mountain high-intensity drug trafficking cops here, they need to paint a picture of a pot zombie apocalypse since Colorado has legalized marijuana. And really, there are really only two effective attacks left for the prohibitionists that I call Watsi and Smoff. Watsi is, what about the children? And Smoff is stoned mayhem on the freeways. Well, the Rocky Mountain high-intensity drug trafficking area cops uh, are going to go with the what about the children angle because in their latest press release, they note how the data from the latest national survey on drug use and health shows Colorado to have the highest rate of monthly teen marijuana smoking. Scary, isn't it? Yeah, and as a matter of fact, it's true. This is one of those situations, though, where a statistic in a vacuum can be quite misleading. Indeed, for the latest figures, the 2013-2014 averages for people aged 12 to 17 in the state of Colorado comes out to 12.56% of 12 to 17-year-olds smoked pot monthly. That's one out of eight. And nobody's saying that's a good thing necessarily. And it is the highest rate in the nation. However, it's important to look at trends and to look at how things have changed over time. The Rocky Mountain high-intensity drug trafficking area wants to tie this to marijuana legalization. They want to say there's a, a causal relationship. You legalized in Colorado and bam, the next thing you know, suddenly kids have found pot to be very enjoyable in Colorado. But the facts are that Colorado has not necessarily been the biggest change of all of these states. In fact, Colorado ranks fourth in the rate of change in their teen pot use since the prior survey, since the prior year. Currently, 12.56% of the teens in Colorado are smoking pot monthly. That's an increase from 11.16% the year before. Relatively speaking, the difference, the increase, works out to 12.51%. 12.5% increase from year to year. And that's fourth in the nation. Number third in the nation, with a 13.8% increase, was the state of Idaho. Number two in the nation, with a 14.95% increase, was the state of Kansas. And number one in the nation with the greatest one-year increase in marijuana use, reported marijuana use among 12 to 17-year-olds, the state of New Jersey at 18.28%. So Colorado legalized, and indeed their teen pot use went up, but I can damn well assure you that Idaho, Kansas, and New Jersey have not legalized, and they went up more. Another thing to consider is that part of the reason Colorado turns out to be number one at this point is because other states have decreased their marijuana use. So yeah, Colorado went up some, but other states went down. Last year's number one state was Rhode Island at 12.95%, almost 13%, almost a half percentage greater than what Colorado's is now. The leader the prior year, 2011-2012, 
was Vermont at 13.36%, again, compared to the current 12.5% in Colorado. And the year before that, in 2010, the all-time greatest number recorded, by the way, in this century, was also the state of Vermont at 14.04% compared to the 12.5% Colorado is ranking now. So yeah, Colorado went up a little, but other states went down a lot. And that changed where Colorado fit. In fact, in 2010, Colorado was number five in the nation. Now it's number one in, in the nation. It's important not to draw too many conclusions about how these states rank from year to year. A lot of this can have to do with availability, can have to do with cultural trends. And it's also important to look at whether or not the country as a whole has seen an increase in usage. And indeed, there has been a slight increase in in the nation as a whole, about a 1% increase. That can't all be blamed on marijuana legalization in Colorado and Washington. There are still a whole lot of states that don't have any sort of marijuana legalization. And looking since 2008, we find uh, that Florida has actually increased 19% since 2008. Don't recall Florida being one of those legalized states. Louisiana has increased 8.95%. Again, not a state that's very friendly toward marijuana legalization. Generally speaking, across Colorado, Washington, other states that have legalized, we're seeing that teen use is pretty much holding steady. There are increases and decreases here and there. But it's nowhere as high as it used to be back in the 1970s. All right, we're back with a look at prisoners serving life for pot after these messages. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. The Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com, the national wildlife refuge for marijuana unicorns. It's time for Cannabis Facts About Alzheimer's from Robert Platshorn's TheSilverTour.org. This message is supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. A new Florida study in the journal Molecular and Cellular Neuroscience found that cannabis promotes the growth of healthy new brain tissue. It can slow the effects of Alzheimer's and may, in fact, be able to halt it entirely. A long-term study by Ohio State University's Professor Gary Wink concludes that people who regularly use marijuana get Alzheimer's at a much lower rate than others. This was Cannabis Facts from thesilvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com.
The fingerboard extension has fretted instruments to enhance your creativity. It has new and used guitars and banjos from beginning to high class. The fingerboard extension has National Resophonic, Hassan Dalton, Larrabee, Heritage and Recording King guitars, and Mike Ramsey, Wildwood, Gold Tone and Recording King banjos. The fingerboard extension also has drum stuff, used gear, and parts. Stop by the fingerboard extension downtown Corvallis, Oregon at 120 Northwest 2nd, or check out the inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com and reverb.com. Now, and tell them Radical Russ sent you. In the marijuana law reform movement, the cannabis community is represented by thousands of dedicated defense attorneys fighting to end prohibition and keep us free. The Russ Belleville Show visits with the tireless courtroom crusaders in our legalization law and order. Welcome back. And uh, today we are going to be talking about a particular project out there that I think deserves more attention. And it was brought to my mind by the recent news of President Obama commuting the sentences, the life sentences of 22 prisoners of the drug war. Unfortunately, only one of those prisoners was a marijuana prisoner. Most of the prisoners, their sentences had to do with crack cocaine and other uh, drugs. But uh, one, we're glad to have the one who was released, but there need to be more that are released. And to that end, I turn to the Clemency Report. You can find their website at clemencyreport.org and the reporting of Beth Curtis, who is the nation's number one expert on extreme marijuana sentences. Uh, the post she puts up is the top most, the top 10 most outrageous marijuana sentences. These are 10 men who should be freed by president Obama. Number one is John knock. He's age 67. He's serving life without parole for a nonviolent first offense. He was a Presbyterian minister in a small Midwestern town, married to a homemaker and moved to San Francisco in the late sixties and joined the Good Earth Commune and Hate Ashbury. He was out of the business and living in Hawaii in 1994 with his wife, who was completing her PhD in biology, and his son, age 23, when he was indicted as a part of a loose group of entrepreneurs who imported marijuana in the 1970s and 1980s. You can learn more about John Nock at the Clemency Report, clemencyreport.org. Number two prisoner would be Paul Free. The ironically named Paul Free, age 64, serving life in a federal prison. He's the former manager of the Coronado Playhouse Theater in his California hometown and completed a marine biology degree from the University of San Diego shortly before his arrest in 1994. At the time, he was living in Mexico, teaching English and organizing a school. These skills helped him teach GED classes and achieve the highest graduation rate in the federal prison system. Today, Paul is recovering from an apparent stroke suffered two years ago. His devoted mom died a few years ago at age 100. He's a talented man serving life without parole and doesn't deserve to die in prison for a nonviolent marijuana offense. You can learn more about Paul Free at clemencyreport.org or lifeforpot.com. Number three is Leopoldo Hernandez Miranda. He's age 76. He's doing a life sentence. He has been called the most deserving clemency candidate you've never heard of. He's a Cuban fisherman with a fourth grade education and limited English skills. He lacks the ability to advocate assertively for himself. A minor player in a phony marijuana importation effort, which was a DEA sting, 
Leopoldo was a day laborer who was harvested into a life without parole sentences, a sentence that is entirely undeserved. Leopoldo is the victim of one of the nation's most disgraceful marijuana sentences. You can learn more about Leopoldo Hernandez Miranda at clemencyreport.org or lifeforpot.com. Number four is Antonio Bascaro. He's age 80. Now, he is set to be released in June of 2019, but he's age 80. He's a historic figure in two ways. He has been in prison longer for marijuana than anyone in United States history, nearly 35 years, even exceeding the 29 years Bobby Tuna served. Second, this amazing man was a Cuban war hero who battled Fidel Castro during the revolution and again during the ill-fated Bay of Pigs invasion. In 1958, Antonio crashed a plane that is now featured in Cuba's Museum of the Revolution. Antonio, captured, had breakfast with Raul Castro, Fidel's brother and now Cuba's official leader, who tried to convince the young pilot to change sides and head the Revolutionary Air Force. Antonio refused. After escaping execution, Antonio was a role player in a group who helped import marijuana from Colombia to the U.S. by fishing boat in the late 1970s. The Cuban who ran the business was released in 1994. The legendary American pot wholesaler who bought and distributed all the pot was released in 1996. Only Antonio, now age 80 and in a wheelchair, remains in prison. You can learn about Antonio Barrasco at the Clemency Report. ClemencyReport.org, lifeforpot.com. Number five is Kenny Kubrinsky, or I'm sorry, Kenny Kubinsky. He's age 67, federal prisoner, serving life. He won three Purple Hearts and a Bronze Star for Valor in Vietnam. We repaid him with a life without parole sentence. Kenny owned a construction company with his brothers when he was arrested in 1993 for marijuana and a little cocaine. He was taken away from his wife Jacqueline, a preschool teacher, and three kids, a six-year-old boy and two preschool girls. In retrospect, Kenny believes he was suffering from PTSD, a condition not well understood at the time. His release would honor our nation and be an act of compassion for his wife and children, who are now grown. You can learn more about Kenny Kubinski at clemencyreport.org and lifeforpot.com. Number six of the ten prisoners that President Obama should grant clemency to is Larry Duke. He's age 67. He's a nonviolent grandfather and master tinkerer serving life without parole for marijuana. He's been locked up since 1989. When Larry, a decorated Marine who served in Vietnam, was asked what he would like to say in an article about him, he wrote, A lifelong friend, Marty Brennan, died, and his burial at Arlington National Cemetery is scheduled for December 2014. I would sure like to show up and say goodbye. And of course, he was never able to. What we would like to say about Larry, he's a remarkable man, an inventor, dreamer, and problem solver of so many accomplishments that he cannot easily be summed up in a few sentences. If you'd like to read more about Larry Duke's story, federal marijuana prisoner serving life without parole, it's at Clemency Report. Clemency, uh, clemencyreport.org and lifeforpot.com. Number seven federal prisoner deserving of clemency is Billy Deakle. He's age 65, federal prisoner. Billy was a smart, adventuresome cowboy of a young man. He flew planes in high school, joined the Marines upon graduation, and transported bales of pot in his 20s. 
Gringo Billy, he was called, and he went where the pot was, Colombia, Nicaragua, Jamaica, the Bahamas, and Belize, and brought it home to American consumers. He was a character from a Jimmy Buffett song, making $20,000 or more some months and pissing it away as fast as it came in. He was arrested in 1990 and is serving life without parole. Today, Gringo Billy is Poppy Billy to his grandkids. He's eligible for Social Security and Medicare. He has a bum knee. His wife, a school administrator, and his two grown daughters, teens when he went away, now in their 40s, want this good man home for his final years. 25 years for pot is more than enough. Learn more about Billy Deagle at clemencyreport.org, lifeforpot.com. The number eight prisoner deserving of clemency, Craig Cecil. Craig's life without parole sentence shows how federal conspiracy law produces outrageously unjust results, legal, but entirely disconnected from reality. Craig owned a towing and truck repair shop near Chicago for 23 years. He had 14 tow trucks and a big garage. His customers included truck rental companies and cops, 16 police departments, two Illinois State Police Districts, and the Cook and DuPage County Sheriff's Departments. One of his repair clients, Sun Hill Trucking of Florida, was accused of using their trucks to smuggle marijuana from Mexico. Craig was never charged with buying, selling, possessing, or using marijuana. But the government claimed the truck repairman knew what Sun Hill Trucking did and helped repair and prepare the trucks for smuggling. Craig then was responsible for every ounce of marijuana that Sun Hill Trucking may have touched, whether he saw the pot, whether he profited from the pot, or whether he even knew it ever existed. He pled guilty in 1992, but tried to revoke the plea bargain and was sentenced to life without parole. Wonder why so many hold the federal justice system in such low esteem? The story of Craig Cecil is one glaring example why. Learn more about his case at clemencyreport.org or lifeforpot.com. Number nine prisoner is Jeff Mazansky, age 61. He's in prison in Missouri, serving life without parole. Jeff Mazansky is an inmate who's gathered considerable support for his unjust Missouri state sentence of life without parole for marijuana. He has nearly 400,000 signatures on his change.org petition. He received life without parole for buying a few pounds of pot. Governor Jay Nixon, a Democrat, has refused to act on Mazansky's clemency request. Why? The governor has dodged the question. Politics and justice are a poor match in Missouri. Learn more about Jeff Mazansky at clemencyreport.org and lifeforpot.com. And finally, in the top 10 list of these prisoners, of which there are far more that we could talk about. This is just the top 10. Fred Cundiff, age 68. Charles Fred Cundiff had been behind bars for nearly a quarter of a century for a nonviolent marijuana offense. Fred was a married father of three when he got caught up with eight others in a reverse sting to buy marijuana in Tallahassee in 1991. Fred wasn't key person in the deal, but under conspiracy law, all defendants are held responsible for the entire weight of the cannabis. Fred had two previous minor convictions for growing pot, and that got him 
a mandatory life without parole sentence. You can learn more about Fred Cundiff at clemencyreport.org and lifeforpot.com. And huge thanks to Beth Curtis for all the work she is doing on this issue. The Clemency Report, The Human Solution is another group that is doing fantastic work in bringing these cases to light. The more you can give to help these people, the better. This is something that is going to be a problem until we legalize and even after we legalize marijuana. Still today in Colorado and Washington state, there are people that are serving time for things that are perfectly legal to do with a license now in Washington and Colorado. If we have declared that these things are no longer crimes, these activities are no longer crimes, then what are we punishing these men for? Other than it was illegal at the time they did it, we have to punish them for the mistaken understanding of cannabis by our society in the past? That seems cruel and unusual, and doesn't that violate the Eighth Amendment somehow? It's these men I think about when I read Stoners Against Legalization wanting to fight this legalization or that legalization because it's just not true legalization. It's not perfect enough. Sometimes they actually bring up these prisoners that the the initiatives don't free all these prisoners as a reason to vote against the initiatives. Folks, it gets easier to set these guys free the more legal we make it. If we never make it any more legal, these guys never get out of prison. You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation. MJWellness.com, the largest medical marijuana community in the world. Connect with thousands of patients, doctors, industry leaders, and businesses through shared personal experiences along our worldwide network. Discover new therapies and benefits with content tailored to you. Come grow your network on mjwellness.com. You're not alone. Your wellness matters. Learn, live, and thrive. Check out mjwellness.com today. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Carson doesn't believe in the Geneva Convention. Okay, maybe you're high too. Cannabis Confidential with Dr. Dina. Candid. I want to give you the inside story. Captivating. I want to introduce you to my kind and amazingly talented friends. Compelling. We get to meet some of the most amazing cannabis activists and warriors around. Listen in as medical marijuana pioneer Dr. Dina shares never-before-heard stories, chats with cannabis insiders and celebrity friends, and provides invaluable perspective and insight into one of the fastest-growing industries in the world. I want to share with you what was once confidential information. Let's expose the truth, discuss the issues, and learn the facts. Cannabis Confidential, only on CannabisRadio.com. Imagine life without taxes. Let New Era Certified Public Accountants, NewEraCPAs.com, handle your cannabis business 280E in tax strategy. 
Get your business prepared with New Era CPA's Cannabis Finance Bootcamp. NewEraCPAs.com, with years of experience in the industry, we are one of the nation's leading accounting firms for growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies from Washington to California. NewEraCPAs.com. must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make them. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it and didn't inhale. One major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical Rant. Last night I was on the Who's the Ross show, the live comedy show at Dante's downtown. And my 11th appearance, as a matter of fact, it was a lot of fun. And one of the funniest parts of the show last night was that uh, Aaron, the host, was occupied by members of the militia that is having the standoff in eastern Oregon. It was all a comedy skit, of course, but he had four different guys in cowboy hats and flannel shirts uh, who had their snacks. They had Funyuns and Cheetos and Doritos and all of that, who uh, sat behind the guests on the stage and basically occupied there uh, to stave off the federal tyranny or something like that. Really, it's as much as I understand about what's going on here, because I've only been superficially engaged in this story that's happening out in West Idaho. I mean, Eastern Oregon with uh, that guy, Ammon Bundy. And they got all those armed um, so-called militia guys uh, that are holed up in the Malher National Wildlife Refuge. It's a bird sanctuary that nobody really cares much about. <laughs> uh, mostly, where I've been getting my news from this, I've been following uh, the hashtags on Twitter, Yalkada and Vanilla Isis, which really aren't very fair comparisons to these so-called citizens for constitutional freedom because, you know, Al-Qaeda and Vanilla Ice actually had a national hit. But these ersatz patriots, they have a complaint about some sort of federal tyranny that involves a mandatory minimum sentence that was handed out for a couple of guys named Dwight and Stephen Hammond. Uh, These two guys set fires on their land that burned out onto federal land, and that led to charges of arson that were upgraded uh, in a bill in the 90s uh, after we had that uh, trade center attack. Uh, that upgraded, you know, an eco-terrorism tax and stuff like that, uh, that upgraded, you know, purposely, you know, burning federal lands as a terrorist act. Now, there is some merit to the idea that that's a little harsh, that maybe, you know, we shouldn't just be throwing terrorism charges out uh, for this sort of arson. And even the judge who sentenced the two guys said that a five-year mandatory minimum, quote, would not meet any idea I have of justice or proportionality. It would be a sentence which would shock the conscience to me, end quote. So even the judge, you know, wasn't so hip on sentence these guys for a a great deal of time. And this whole story, though, it just reminds me of the question I've been asking my 
conservative, gun-loving, redneck friends and relatives back home in Idaho for years now. Why? If you're so hell-bent on supporting states' rights, defending the Second Amendment, and fighting the tyranny of the federal government, why are you never speaking up about ending the war on certain American citizens using non-pharmaceutical, non-alcoholic, tobacco-free drugs? This standoff in Oregon is the second time a Bundy has led fellow armed citizens in a standoff against the federal government. Ammon's father, Cliven, you remember him, he was that Nevada rancher back in 2012 who faced off against government agents over his failure to pay 20 years worth of grazing fees for grazing his cattle on federal lands. The supporters of Clive and Bundy went so far as to set up sniper positions locked and loaded against federal agents. Luckily, the federal government never responded in kind and backed off without giving the militants the conflagration that, of course, many of them are hoping for, just as the cops now are backing off in Burns, Oregon. But if Clive and Bundy had been growing a few thousand medical marijuana plants on his land, or if Ammon Bundy was armed and occupying his home medical marijuana growth site, do you think the federal government would be so non-confrontational? Or do you think they'd send in body armor-clad agents with military-grade weaponry to raid the Bundys? That they'd be lobbing flashbang grenades into their toddlers' cribs and shooting their family dogs, and then sentencing them to 10-year mandatory minimums like Eddie Lepp, or five-year mandatory minimums like Dr. Molly Fry and Dale Schaefer. Yeah, we know exactly how that would turn out. We also know that these kind of holdups would probably turn out a little bit differently if uh, these guys had a little bit darker complexion, if you get my drift. Yeah, these Bundys, they talk a good game. Yeah, they talk a good game about getting the federal government out of the business of the states and returning property rights to landowners. Yeah, they talk a good game. But are they upset that the federal government owns 54.5% of the land in the legalized marijuana states of Alaska, Colorado, Oregon, and Washington? Do they realize that means legal pot smokers can face federal charges if caught in over half of their state, their legal state, by an officer of the Forest Service, the National Park Service, or the Bureau of Land Management? Yeah, here in Oregon, y'all Qaeda, they're all holed up there in the bird sanctuary, begging for snacks and reacting badly to deliveries of bags of dicks. Yeah, that's right, folks. People have literally sent in bags of dildos <laughs> telling these guys to eat a bag of dicks. <laughs> it's, you got to check the video. It's hilarious. But these Yalkata guys are holed up there calling for other armed patriots to come join their occupation of a building that nobody cares if they hold it. But do these vanilla ISIS guys realize that very few of us pot smokers, even though we're legal now in this state, very few of us could bear arms to join them if we wanted to? Because the Gun Control Act of 1968 forbids the selling of arms and ammunition to a person who is, quote, an unlawful user of or addicted to any controlled substance. Funny how you never hear these militia types address that issue, huh? For decades now, they've warned us, 
We have to resist all these efforts to register guns and gun owners. If we register all the guns and gun owners, that'll be used to take away citizens' Second Amendment rights. They'll put you on a list. They'll put you on a list and they'll take away your gun. But in almost every medical marijuana state, that mandatory list that costs you your gun rights is called a medical marijuana patient registry. Do these militia types not recognize that cultivating even one marijuana plant, a hemp plant that our own founding fathers planted, is a federal felony? And it's still a felony in many other states, too. And do they realize that when you get a felony conviction, that's grounds for disarming a citizen and taking away their right to vote in some states for life? Why do we not see the militia members occupying federal land demanding an end to this tyranny, this war on drugs? And for that matter, where's the NRA? Where's the NRA for defending the Second Amendment rights of legal pot smokers? Yeah, yeah, I guess conservatives ignoring marijuana prohibition is just one of those odd bits of political cognitive dissonance. Like, I'm never going to be able to explain it. It's like, it's like lately how they're, uh, how, you know, you remember how President Obama, how Obama was allegedly born in a foreign country to an American woman? And he was not a natural-born citizen eligible to be president. Remember the birther thing, birth certificate? But somehow, Senator Ted Cruz, who was actually born in a foreign country to an American woman, somehow he's a natural-born citizen eligible to be president? It's almost as if conservatives are deciding that these constitutional issues aren't to be decided by the merits of the issue, but rather by whom that law benefits. And to be fair, liberals, they evaluate issues of privacy and extrajudicial killing based on which party happens to hold the presidency. But these continuations of tyranny being executed by our federal government, it just blows my mind that conservatives, especially these Tea Party types that claim to be so enamored of the founding fathers, Guys that were growing hemp plantations. Guys that were drinking booze by the cask. That they would so revere the Constitution and the Founding Fathers and yet have this blind spot when it comes to all of their principles. When it comes to the war on drugs. Why? It's because, you know, those people use drugs. Those people, druggies. And in a lot of cases... It's viewed through a racist lens. I just have to be honest here. But that's not to say that there is no hope among conservatives for marijuana legalization. My friend Ann Lee and many other friends of mine in Texas, Virginia, and other places are all members of something called RAMP, Republicans Against Marijuana Prohibition. You can check them out at rampgop.com. Dot com or dot org, I can't remember which, but Ramp GOP. We need more conservatives speaking out for conservative principles of states' rights, individual responsibility, smaller government programs, less government waste, Second Amendment rights, all of these things that are impacted by the war on drugs. It's time to end marijuana prohibition. It's what a conservative would do. 
It's all we got for Hour 1. Stay tuned. Your calls are next in Hour 2. For everyone here at Roller J Studios, I'm Radical Russ. Until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Now it's time for Toker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. What are you people? On dope? Or you can toke. I inhale. Uh, or you can talk. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. Or you can toke and talk. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. While we talk about toke on Toker Talk Radio. So by the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard, have a ball. Live from beautiful Potland, Oregon at Rolla J Studios. Plus your calls live at 971-533-7111. They're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to the end of a man, the snoopy, snoopy poop dog. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality. Holland, is it real? Don't tease me. We're locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana, and, and the, the next thing you know, they got 10 years. And now, here's your host, the guru of ganja graphics, the sultan of sativa statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint. Radical Russ Belleville. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back, tokers and tokettes. Radical Russ here in wet, gray, rainy Portland, Oregon. We're in the wet season right now. Glad to have you here. Our phone line is open. We are live on CannabisRadio.com. Phone number is 971 973-7111, and we start things right off with a call coming in here. I believe this is Vincent calling in. Vincent, are you there? Yes, Russ. Good to talk to you. Uh, First-time listener, really enjoying your show. You bring some uh, very good points to bear. Well, thank you very much for being a listener, and uh, don't forget you can take us with you on the go if you you, uh, get the uh, Spreaker app. I think the Spreaker app and the TuneIn app are available, and you can get Cannabis Radio on those. Yes, and I have that indeed on my phone. Um, I, I guess I might have a few points to uh, to bring to bear. I, I was in Bunkerville uh, a couple of years ago come spring, uh, and, and I made it a point when, when people first got there, you know, it was all about freedom. And, of course, um, I, I think people come in there and try to co up to their own uh, desires and sure. designs there. Uh, and I made it a point to... Uh, smoke pot. I went on Bundy's property uh, along the river there, and uh, a guy from, I think it was Channel 8, was doing a live recording, so I walked in behind him, fired up a hooter, and uh, turned and looked at the camera and said, free the weed. So it was going out live, so I know that went out. 
was also interviewed by uh, Channel 3, Antonio. Uh, dang, I, I always forget his last name. But uh, I was out there quite a while, and I, I think it's a very good point that uh, people should be standing up. I mean, uh, first of all, y'all, Kata, uh, hey, I think I'll take that hashtag and wear it proudly. Uh, <laughs> I think it's funny, but but I do like it. Um and I do stand with the Bundys. Now, everybody's not got that. This is the problem. Everybody's trying to say, well, they're wrong, but uh, they're not doing anything right. So I, I think instead of condemning them, people ought to come and occupy with them for, for their cause, whether they be Paiute or, or anybody else, a cannabis activist. Uh, I think everybody ought to be taking a stand. Take an occupation. Occupy something somewhere and, and speak up. Yeah. So we, we may not agree uh, if personally leaning towards anarchist view um, about the uh, legitimacy, legitimacy of the government and the governance going on. And and, and uh, certainly I don't think that they fully understand it neither. But uh, the point is, is they are taking a stand. And I, I think that's where we need to uh, uh, stand in together. Instead of all this distraction, and, and I watch it, and it's just like uh, any time that anything is good is put together by somebody they come in and, and destroy it yeah uh, well you know it's easy I for some people they, to... they come up tried to oh a little bill i think he went by this guy that went down on the border and set traps for what he calls illegal aliens trying <laughs> to enter into uh, across the border that guy should be put in prison right yeah. there i mean when you're when you're actually going out to harm somebody that's that's a violation of law right and legal right. ain't law by yeah. the way and you know i think i think part of it too is it's easy for some people to kind of make fun of what's going on in in the whole uh burns oregon thing on on factors of of you know uh Treating people, you know, uh, d- discrimination, stereotyping, thinking that it's poor white trash, hicks, hill- hillbillies, whatever you want to say. When it's just as easy to make those kind of disparaging thoughts about the 2011 Occupy Wall Street movie movement being a bunch of hippies and stoners and whatever else. So on the left and on the right, it's easy to to disparage those people who are who are out there. But on both sides. They do, they're doing more by standing up and actually doing something, even if it's ineffective or if it comes off silly or whatever. At least they're standing up and doing something and recognizing there is a problem compared to the vast majority of people who just watch TV and don't give a shit. That's right. And, you know, I would like to correct you on one thing. People that uh, are bearing arms or called militia or whatever uh, hashtag you want to put on them, I like y'all, Kata. It works for me. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, you know what? Uh, there, there was plenty of people out there that, that come to uh, to stand in the gap despite their fear and, and did uh, our users of cannabis. Uh, and a lot of times uh, when we speak, our, our words are used against us, and, and they're uh, designed that way. So I, I try to uh, I've tried to correct uh, my use of language, and you know, like calling uh, calling it weed or pot or, or marijuana or whatever. Uh, uh, the word actually, the, the word marijuana, which I'm sure you know, is what's used against us in the legal ease. So uh, I think it is important that we do address it as cannabis, because cannabis in itself is not illegal or unlawful. It's marijuana that is. So, yeah, it's, it, uh, sometimes it's marijuana with an legalization, H. I, I thought from the very beginning this, is, this isn't going to be good. I mean, well, one thing we can do is submit and pay uh, whatever fees and all that to uh, be uh, to prevent ourselves from being killed, kidnapped, and held for ransom in uh, this bar association in, in the uh, war that's against us. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, it's good and bad, but, uh, uh, yeah, legalizing it just puts it from the uh, from the black market to the stock market. And thanks for uh, RealLibertyMedia.com for uh, 
uh, who I forgot who put that in there in the chat in there. Yeah, that's good uh, stuff. Earlier today. Uh, and somebody there asked me to come over and give you a listen, and because he said that uh, that you'd said that uh, militia people are not being uh, uh, standing up for the the rights of cannabis use. Yeah. Uh, and and I don't know if I tag myself as a militia. I went armed with uh, my voice and in, in my phone, you know, for recording. And I and I uh, out there in, in Bunkerville. I'd like to be in Burns right now, but um, oh, cold's a little hard on my bones and. I yeah. guess you can't buy legal marijuana. Oh, yeah, it's hard hard to get it back out back out that far. That's for sure. You know, I think one of the uh, one of the aspects of this is, you know, I, I I come from Idaho originally, grew up around very conservative people, and it's weird because it's like you talk to liberal people and they'll all be, yeah, it's marijuana ought to be legal. It's stupid that it's illegal, but and they'll they'll say it publicly. Conservative folks that I've met will say the same damn thing, but they'll only say it privately because they think everybody else is against it. But if they just opened right. up and started talking about it, they'd realize that their friends and neighbors, they all think it's stupid too. <laughs> that's, that's too bad because with all the uses of the cannabis plant, and not not even to mention just the uh, the mere relaxation of, of being able to smoke a big old fat hooter, you know, or, or drink your... Yeah, Fit the whiskey and come home and beat your wife and children and kick your dog. Yeah, you know yeah. y'all want to get uh, you want to wait. What do you call that? Uh, a profile a southerner, a hillbilly, or a redneck, or whatever. I mean, that's that's what uh, you know most people conceive in their minds of you know somebody speaking as I do with a southern accent. You know, to be a, an idiot. Well, I gotta admit, I am an idiot on a lot of things, but uh, I'm certainly not stupid and. And I, I realize the system that is against us, and that's where we need to uh, form our alliance—not where we differ, but where we uh, where we stand together. Right. Uh, and that's that's the importance. Uh, uh, as far as Ammon Bundy, I I would uh, um, I would stand with him and his reputation being a good good man. I spent enough time with him out there and talking to him privately and and uh, with with others. So uh, you know, I'm. I'm don't necessarily agree with the religiosity and, and that goes a little deeper, but that's fine too. As long as one's faith is not, uh, uh, forced upon another and, and used, you know, to, to kill, steal and destroy, which we find most religion does. But, yeah. No doubt about that. I would have issue, but, uh, I've not seen, I've not seen them, uh, neither Mr. Bundy or any of his family members, uh, do anything but show exemplatory, uh, character. So, um, I, I don't know about the other folks. I, I've, of course, I met um, Pete Santilli out there, and a lot of people have bad things to say about him, but he is getting out the uh, the footage, so yeah. i got to give him uh, props for that. Well, thank you so much, Vince, for giving us your perspective on that. Hearing from somebody who's actually met the guy is really cool, and uh, thanks for tuning in to CannabisRadio.com. We're here every weekday uh, at the same time, so we hope we uh, hear from you again sometime. Thanks, Russ. I'll be listening. All right. Take it easy. Phone line's still open at 971-533-7111. If you feel like contributing, we'll be here for you. In the meantime, we got to take a break and pay some of the bills. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about conservatives versus liberals, progressives versus regressives, whatever you want to call it, and the history of the drug war. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. 
Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. I said, on this program, what do they want? My grandchildren and the monster. Did I scare you? Okay. Maybe you're high, too. Chronicling the latest cannabis industry news and headlines. Well, with four states with tax and regulate and the District of Columbia. The state of cannabis. Oh, my God. It's refreshing. We have people that generally wouldn't speak on behalf of cannabis for fear of retribution, fear of losing your practices, fear of of many of those things, and and find ourselves in in a a place that we finally can. Bringing you fact-based news and views and keeping listeners on the pulse of what's happening in the industry today. The State of Cannabis. On demand anytime, only on CannabisRadio.com. Russ Belville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest growing business association in the fastest growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel One on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. Warning, hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they pay me to say that. This is Dan Michaels from danmichaelsaudio.com, and you're listening to Radical Russ on CannabisRadio.com. Thanks, Dan. 13 and a half after the hour, had a great call. Vincent was just on the line. We were talking about uh, conservatives and and why militia folks, Tea Party types, aren't standing out more strongly to fight the drug war, given that it embodies exactly all of the terrible things they predict from a run amuck federal government. <laughs> you know, kicking down doors, jackbooted thugs, seizure of property, killing of pets, terrorizing of family. Loss of liberty, sometimes loss of life. It's it, of all of the, you know, oh, they're taxing us too much. Oh, they wanted to have grazing fees on federal land. I'm not saying those are non-issues. I'm just saying, you know, you want the jackbooted thugs, the, the strong arm of the law coming in. Drug war, folks, right there. <laughs> it's right there. And. It's interesting, too, to, to get into this discussion. We got a bunch of folks in our chat room, and if you haven't been to our chat room on Spreaker yet, just go to uh, RadicalRust.com or CannabisRadio.com, and you'll see the live player. On the live player, there's a thing that looks like a little cartoon balloon, and you click that, and it'll open up the uh, chat room for you. Uh, Michael Hughes, my lawyer friend out there in Central Oregon, points out just how complicit both parties have been in establishing and maintaining the war on certain American citizens using non-pharmaceutical, non-alcoholic, tobacco-free drugs. I always like to point out that when you look at the statistics for marijuana arrests in this country, guess which presidential term saw a decrease 
in marijuana arrests before President Obama. And it was the term, the combined terms of Ronald Reagan and George H.W. Bush. When Reagan came into office, there were about 400,000 marijuana arrests a year. Ah, the good old days. 400,000 marijuana arrests a year. And then by the end of George H.W. Bush, it was down to about 380. Now, in the meantime, cocaine arrests went through the roof. The whole crack epidemic and all that went through the roof. But marijuana, marijuana stayed relatively stable and declined ever so slightly during the Reagan-Bush 12-year term. Guess who had the greatest increase other than Richard Nixon, who started it all? Bill Clinton, Mr. I did not inhale. I did not like it. And I did not ever try it again. And I uh, did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. And, uh, oh, doggone it, you got me again. It just, just, just depends on what the definition of the word is, is. That fella, you remember him. During his eight years... Marijuana arrests nearly doubled. Nearly, it's like a 90% increase or something like that. So when this comes to a debate, and, and I'm glad the caller made this point, of we need to unify around what we agree on and understand that whole political idea, the enemy, my enemy is my friend. Well, both parties have been enemies to us. I'm not sure, you know, that you can necessarily count on one or the other to be so friendly. And on both sides, there are people that are friendly to us uh, on the Democratic side. You got your uh, Bernie Sanders, who wants to you know, drop marijuana from the Controlled Substances Act. On the Republican side, you got Rand Paul, who's willing to do the same thing and let the states have domain over it. So this, you can find political shelter on either side, whether you're lefty liberal or a righty conservative, it doesn't matter. There's, there's people that agree with you going on the right side, going back to Milton Friedman and, and, uh, and, uh, uh, William F. Buckley and, you know, traditional conservatives who believe, you know, keep the state out of my business, keep the state out of my body and my bedroom. Leave me alone. All use is none. Ya. None. Ya damn business. And it's also important to remember your history too. You look at the Clinton administration, and it was Tip O'Neill leading the charge as the Speaker of the House, very powerful Speaker of the House, leading the charge on mandatory minimum sentencing and increased drug penalties and more drug testing in drug courts. Joe Biden, the current vice president, he led the charge in the Senate. Two of the most stalwart, supposedly liberal progressive icons in history Tip O'Neill and Joe Biden, two of the greatest architects of this war on drugs. And, you know, it. You, you, like I said, you can find political cover on either side. You can find political enemies on either side when it comes to this issue of the war on drugs. And that's why it's been such an interesting issue. Because on both sides, you can find reasons to oppose and to support the drug war. I was mentioning on the conservative side how, you know, states' rights, limited government, personal responsibility, those kind of, you know, pillars of conservative thought fit legalization perfectly. But on the liberal side, you think of things like social justice, civil rights, uh, hippy-dippy liberal eco kind of stuff. 
And marijuana fits in there, too, with hemp and all uh, medical marijuana and all that. So it's this rare issue that you can find support for on both sides, any on any part of the political spectrum, especially when we start talking about medical marijuana. I mean, it's like above 80 percent, even among senior citizen Republicans, right? It's it it's like two thirds of senior citizen Republicans are in support of medical marijuana, and the numbers just go up from there. You get to your eighteen to twenty nine year old independents and Democrats, and it's like ninety, ninety two, ninety five percent. It's becoming increasingly difficult to find anybody who can rationally oppose medical marijuana and not just be laughed off a stage. So uh, things are looking up for us that way. We don't have any dope. And what did I just smoke? I don't know, but if you got it here in the Pacific Northwest, Homer, it's bound to be something really good. I have some of the most knowledgeable listeners on the planet. Michael Hughes is dropping science and history in the chat room. Check it out right now if you get a chance. When we come back, we'll talk about Sheldon Adelson in Las Vegas and El Chapo in Mexico. Hurry, its temperature is shooting past a thousand degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's orders. Less heat, <laughs> more flavor. The Russ Belleville Show, where the truth about marijuana gets more than a minute to speak. Normal stands for responsible adult cannabis use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks, even though the risks may be far less than those posed by legal drugs. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio, inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. Most of us pirates, we go on vacation to North Dakota, you know, because they've got a town called Argusville. What are you smoking there, boy? This is Dan Michaels from danmichaelsaudio.com, and you're listening to Radical Russ on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everyone. 22 and a half after the hour, and... Tonight is the big drawing for the Powerball. $1.5 billion payout in the Powerball. After taxes here in the state of Oregon, if you took the lump sum, it would be $623.1 million. Or if you take the 30-year annuity, it would be $1 billion. You could win the lottery tonight and be a billionaire. It's pretty amazing. 
$623 million is just fine by me. I would take that, of course, the upfront thing. You never know. You take that 30 annuity, next thing you know, you're hit by a bus, right? So take the 623. If uh if I'm not on the air tomorrow, <laughs> it's because I won the uh I won the Powerball. I did win the lottery in the last jackpot. Uh I did win uh $7. <laughs> Out of, I don't know how many lottery tickets I've bought in Powerball in my life. It's a lot. It's the first time I've ever won anything on them. And it was seven bucks. I bought 10 bucks worth of tickets, won seven bucks. So there we go. Hope you got your ticket. Uh, If you're into that kind of thing, you know what I say? uh, A lottery is just a tax on people who are bad at math. Don't understand statistics in sufficiently large numbers. The odds are one in 292.2 million to win. And uh, the reason why it's uh, such a high uh, prize, the 1.5 billion is because they made some changes in the Powerball recently. Uh used to be you were picking numbers from 1 to 54, now you're picking numbers 1 to 69. And then the Powerball used to be numbers like 1 to 35, now it's only like 1 to 24 or something like that. But anyway, they they changed the numbers that are available and that raised the odds from being 1 in 175 million to 1 in 292 million. And the whole point was so that it'd be less likely someone wins the jackpot and then the jackpot would become these huge billion dollar sort of jackpots. Anyway, hope I win. And uh, if I do, I will make some substantial donations to normal and other drug policy groups. And hell, I just might fund my own medical marijuana initiative in the state of Idaho. That's my pledge. If I win the $1.5 billion Powerball, I will get medical marijuana passed in the state of Idaho. I'll put my money toward passing medical marijuana back in my home state so my brother and my dad can make use of medical cannabis. There we go. That's my uh, that's my pledge. All right, let me take a look at... Uh, I got a question in the chat room. Uh, Michael's asking, did I have author James Higdon on? Uh, it wasn't several years ago. It was actually last year uh, James Higdon was on the show. Let me see if I can uh, find real quick the uh, particular episode that he was on because I've got the files right here, the Russ Belville Show archives, and we will just find we got Jim Higdon on the show. He's the author of Cornbread Mafia, great book that details uh, some of the uh, guys in the uh, Ozarks. Yeah, this was um, September 5th, 2015, uh, Cornbread uh, Mafia author. No, no, I'm sorry. My lie. It was 2014. It was, it was two years ago, January 7th of 2014, that I, uh, I interviewed James Higdon. So if you're looking for that in the archives, uh, January 7, 2014. But uh, let me get to some other political stories since we were talking about conservatives and liberals. One big conservative out there that uh, loomed large in last year's election is billionaire Sheldon Adelson. He's like the, I don't know, 16th or 17th richest person uh, on earth. And Sheldon Adelson is this billionaire casino magnate, right? He's a tycoon, casino tycoon. And in 2014, he dumped, oh, he's the 18th richest person in the world. There we go. Uh, But in 2014, he dumped about $5 million dollars of his own money into Florida to help defeat Florida's medical marijuana amendment. 
2014, Florida was voting on medical marijuana by constitutional amendment. And Florida's constitution requires that you get a 60% majority to pass a new amendment. Got to get a supermajority. So this medical marijuana was polling in the 80s. You know, high 80s among the people. And and again, we're talking Florida, a place with a large uh, senior population that can really benefit from medical marijuana. Polling up in the 80%. And then Adelson starts dropping some of his money into the thing. Posting these ads that made it look like the Florida medical marijuana would just open up rampant drug dealing. And then it wasn't really medical and blah, blah, blah. And of course, uh, he was helped a little bit by missteps from the Florida medical marijuana campaign itself, including one particular night when John Morgan, the guy, the millionaire lawyer funding the campaign, uh, went on a drunken tirade that made it to YouTube. But aside from that, Ad- Adelson pumping the money in for the negative attack ads probably made the biggest difference in bringing that support down from the mid 80s or high 80s to the 58 percent that it ended up getting. Now, 58 percent, that's hey. That's a large landslide in political numbers, but not for Florida amendments. So it failed. Didn't get on the ballot. Well, folks, Sheldon Adelson is back. And this time he's got a little more arm twisting he's able to do. This has to do with the state of Nevada, his home state, where they've got legalization on the ballot. And the newspapers there have endorsed legalization for years now. The Las Vegas Review Journal has has endorsed marijuana legalization. Problem is Sheldon Adelson is now the owner of the Las Vegas review journal. And he's trying to pressure the editorial board of the paper. He now owns to switch their views on legalization. There was a meeting Monday with their publisher. This is reported by Tom angel out at marijuana.com that uh, Sheldon Adelson and his wife are asking the editorial board members to visit a drug treatment center and reconsider reconsider the publication's support for ending prohibition ahead of the November vote. Don't you just love this idea? You people that support legalization, by God, you need to come to a drug treatment center and see what drugs really do to people. This idea that those of us who support legalization are somehow just naive or misguided or don't understand how drugs can negatively impact people's life. Look, Adelson, part of the reason we're trying to legalize marijuana is because we do know how devastating drugs can be in people's lives. Yesterday, I reported on a survey that showed 80% of people in Vancouver, British Columbia that were surveyed by the University of Victoria 80% of these medical marijuana patients were substituting medical marijuana for prescription drugs, alcohol, or other illegal drugs. Marijuana for so many people has become the exit drug. It gets them away from addiction and alcohol and drug dependency. So taking people to visit a, a drug rehab, a treatment center, is just fostering this idea that somehow marijuana is going to lead to these harder drugs, the typical gateway drug thinking that is just not true. There are 28 million 
regular marijuana smokers in the United States. Annual. 28 million. You know how many heroin addicts there are in America? About 350,000. You know how many people do cocaine in America? About 2 million. So, you got 28 million who regularly use marijuana, only 2 million that regularly use cocaine. Lousy gateway, when at best, 1 out of 14 are moving on to it. And in fact, it's not even that good a number when you consider the idea behind the gateway theory is that if you try marijuana, if you just try it, it's going to lead you on to harder drugs. Well, that's even worse. Over 108 million Americans have tried marijuana, and there's only 2 million currently using cocaine. Cocaine being, of course, the most popular drug of all of the bad, big, bad, illicit drugs, right? So let's see, 108 million versus 2 million. So that means you have to, every 51st person who tries marijuana might move on to coke. Pretty lousy gateway drug, huh? But this idea that Sheldon Adelson is going to take the review board paper, the Las Vegas Review editors there, they're going to see a drug rehab. They're going to say, oh, my God, we were so wrong. We can't legalize marijuana because, gosh, look at these heroin addicts. You know what I hope they notice? I hope they notice how many people are there for marijuana. And notice how those people don't really seem to be drug addicts or have any major sort of problem. And I hope someone points out to them that over half of the people admitted to drug rehabs that get public money, over half of them admitted for marijuana were forced there by the criminal justice system. Busted, sent by a drug court, busted for probation or parole with a piss test. Something. Marijuana is illegal. They got caught with it. They're told they have to go to rehab or go to jail. Over half. And when you look at those people that are in the rehabs for marijuana, they ask them, well, when's the last time you used marijuana? Over a third of them, 37%, over a third said they hadn't used marijuana in the prior 30 days. Oh my gosh. This drug was so terribly addictive, the cops had to force you into rehab, and yet you were able to go cold turkey without it for a month? even before the rehab kind of makes you wonder if the rehab is even really necessary, doesn't it? And, and the next highest level of, you know, people uh, that admitted smoking once, twice or three times that month before they went to rehab, that was another like 16, 17%, something like that worked out to over half the people in rehab for marijuana were once a week smokers or less. Once a week or less, hardly somebody that you'd want to consider some sort of out of control drug addict. Now, Adelson is claiming he doesn't want to control the editorial board. Sure, he doesn't. He just wants them to go to a rehab and he wants them to reconsider their stance. And he owns the place. But uh, nope, don't have to change anything. And uh, Tom Angel bless his heart, uh, asked some of the reporters there if Adelson's are trying to pressure the board to reverse their stance. And uh, the person responding to him just says, 
no, just asked him to reconsider. So we'll keep you focused on this story as it develops. But I'm telling you, folks, Sheldon Adelson could be a big source of funding for the anti-marijuana legalization forces. And remember, we got at least five states where this could his money could be spent. California, Arizona, Nevada, Massachusetts, and Maine. And possibly Michigan and Ohio. We shall see. But don't think that this is a done deal. We're going to see more money spent by the negative campaign against marijuana legalization in 2016 than in all campaigns up to this point combined. The drug warriors know... This is their Waterloo. This is their Antietam. This is it for them. Legalization's happening, and once we get California, it's all over but the shout. Stay tuned. We're back after these messages. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com, where we don't change our mind on decriminalization during an election year. Growing green to generate more green. Hello to all you happy herbalizers, smiling, trippy hippies, and everyone who believes in freedom and tolerance. This is The Grow Show, and I'm Kyle Cushman. From food to fuel, from remedy to resource. Welcome my guest, Ed Rosenthal, the guru of ganja. Let me ask you, right now I hear your lighter clicking. Are you smoking indoor, or are you smoking sun-grown? What am I smoking? I'm smoking concentrate. (laughs) (laughs) Way to get out of the answer there. So you're truly like the, the, the king, right? You just have you just clap your hands and somebody brings you a bowl and you're all set, right? Mm, I wish that were the case. <laughs> the Grow Show with Kyle Cushman only on CannabisRadio.com. Imagine life without taxes. Let New Era Certified Public Accountants, NewEraCPAs.com, handle your cannabis 280E and tax strategy. Get your business prepared with New Era CPAs Cannabis Finance Bootcamp. NewEraCPAs.com, with years of experience in the industry, we are one of the nation's leading accounting firms for growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies from Washington to California. NewEraCPAs.com. You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. Almost 39 after the hour here at Bola J Studios, where our phone lines are still open at 971-533-7111. We're here every weekday from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific time. 
6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Time with live calls every weekday in that second hour. So if you've got a question, a comment, concern, you can send them in here. You can call us, and if I don't know the answer, I'll look it up for you. I'm pretty good at this stuff, though. I know most most of the stuff. Until you start asking me about growing, don't ask me grow questions. <laughs> I am not the guy to ask grow questions. I, I like to say I know everything about marijuana except growing the plant. <laughs> I, I, know, I know the laws. I know the statistics. I know the science. I know the culture. I know the history. Actually growing the damn thing? No. No, you don't, you don't want me growing. I wanted to talk a little bit about El Chapo. Of course, El Chapo Guzman, leader of the Sinaloa cartel, was captured in Mexico by the uh, Mexican Navy and Marines, I think it was. And this is the third time they captured El El Chapo. The first time they put him in pretty much a luxury swank kind of prison where he had assistants and servants and all that kind of stuff. And uh, he escaped through a laundry cart. Like a like an old bad prison break movie, right? Escape via laundry cart. And then the Mexican government caught him the second time after a few years, I think it was. And um, this time they put him in a prison. And uh, he managed to escape through a tunnel, a very elaborate tunnel that was dug uh, underneath his shower. And uh, he escaped once again. But now the Mexican authorities have caught him. And they're even talking about this time extraditing him to the United States since obviously they're they're so corrupted there in Mexico that they can't keep the guy in prison. So El Chapo here, who, by the way, was just recently uh, Rolling Stones got a great piece. Uh, Sean Penn went down there secretly to interview El Chapo. And a lot of people are, are you know really concerned about that, saying, you know, wait a minute, this guy's a wanted fugitive. You knew where he was. You didn't give up where he was. You're kind of harboring a fugitive. We'll see how that turns out now that El Chapo's been uh, captured. It also makes you wonder if there's any, you know, uh, correlation between the two. Was Sean Penn, you know, secretly supplying information to the government to be able to help him out? I, you know, I don't know. But El Chapo's been captured and a memo leaked by the hacker group LulzSec. They have come up with a secret federal memo that they released, the U.S. government memo, uh, U.S. Customs and Border Protection. Now, this is a memo from 2010, but it was uh, from the Office of Intelligence and Operations Coordination for U.S. Customs and Border Protection. And one of the key lines here in the memo is, quote, the removal of key personnel does not have a discernible impact on drug flows as determined by seizure rates. That's, uh, in other words, capturing El Chapo doesn't make a damn bit of difference. In the drug war, capturing a leader or killing a leader is just job opportunity for the underlings, for the lieutenants. In fact, that either either assassinations from within or cops taking them out are primarily the ways people move up the chain in the illegal drug trafficking organizations. According to the report, 
the drug trafficking operations appear to have built-in redundancy and personnel that perform specific duties to limit the damage incurred by the removal of any one person. That's right, they distribute responsibility. They're like the Hydra. You cut one head off the snake, two heads reappear, right? They continue, by sheer volume alone, drug operations would require more than one individual to coordinate and control the process, while the continued arrest or death of key leadership may have long-term implications as to the control and viability of a specific organization. There is no indication that it will impact overall drug flows into the United States. So it doesn't matter. You can capture El Chapo and put him away, and it's not going to change the Sinaloa cartel's operations one bit. And the downside of this, you know, I mentioned how this, you know, the capture or killing of a leader just means job opportunities for the underlings. Problem is, you don't compete for job opportunities in the drug trafficking organization by who got the best quarterly report or who saved the company the most money or who hobnobbed with the boss on the golf course. No, when these guys want to move up the ranks, they oftentimes have to battle it out. There's turf wars, there's shootouts, there's assassinations and torture involved. Even if you took out the entire cartel, another cartel would take their place and take up the slack. Because what the United States and what others fighting this war on certain American citizens using non-pharmaceutical, non-alcoholic, tobacco-free drugs, what they don't understand is that we're not fighting a war against an organization. We're fighting a war against the very concept of supply and demand. People demand drugs. They always have. They always will. There will always be a demand for drugs because taking drugs, because altering one's consciousness, because gathering pleasure from ingesting substances from caffeine to chocolate to to McDonald's Big Macs to cocaine to heroin to marijuana to ecstasy to acid to shrooms. Sorry, I'm making my list for the weekend. Uh, for all of those things, the demand for that is constant because it's a, it's a human desire. Like sex, like companionship, like belonging. These are things that are just natural to humankind. Taking drugs is just natural to humankind. Not for everybody. Not everybody's going to do it. But there will always be somebody doing it. And the more you try to repress the someone from doing it, the more others are going to want to do it because, hey, there must be something to this if they're trying to suppress it. That whole forbidden fruit kind of thing going on. When we look at the rates of people with serious drug addiction problems for the past century and more. We can look back to the 1900s for some of these medical records, 1870s for some of the British records, and we could find that the rate of drug abuse is about 1%. 1.1, 1.2, it fluctuates a little bit, but it's generally about 1%. Whether few people are doing drugs or lots of people are doing drugs, it still stays about 1%. Whether we're 
arresting few people or arresting a lot of people, it still stays about 1%. How long does that number have to stay there before we realize that, hey, there's always going to be a certain number of people who become drug addicts? So why don't we work on ways of making their worst case scenarios less impactful to society and them? How about we set up clean injection sites for heroin users, supply them with clean needles? How about we provide naloxone to all first responders and we pass good Samaritan laws that if you witness an overdose, you can't be busted for possession for calling it in. How about we legalize cannabis so people who do want to get high can do so with the safest option available on the list of drugs? If we had any rational sense about this and we looked at what hasn't worked, trying to stop people from doing it, arresting an El Chapo or whoever the next cartel leader is going to be. Hell, we, we went down to Panama and took out Manuel Noriega. We took out the leader of a country to try to stop drugs and didn't make a dent in it. The only way that we can have any sort of impact on the law of supply and demand is to work within that frame, to work within an economic frame. The only way you take out the El Chapos and the Sinaloa cartels is with the river rocks and the harbor sides. It's with legal cannabis that doesn't solve its disputes with gunfire and torture and graft and corruption and bribes and threats and terrorism. The legal market that can operate in the open, that can reduce cost by having economy of scale, that can provide consumers with a better, a tested, a pure product. There's no way El Chapo can compete with that. We've already seen the reports coming in of Mexican farmers who were getting 100 bucks a kilo, who are now getting 30 bucks a kilo. They can't afford to keep growing marijuana anymore. Now, sad thing is they're turning to, uh, to heroin poppies and we're having a heroin epidemic here. That A lot of that has to do with the overprescribing of oxycodone and other for-profit painkillers, of which the DEA has allowed a 1,600% increase in manufacturing in the medical marijuana era. That's a whole nother rant. We can take, take that on on another show. So, yay, we captured El Chapo. Whoopee-ding-dong. It doesn't mean a thing. I'm more excited about California, Arizona, Massachusetts, Maine, Michigan, Ohio passing legalization through initiative. Rhode Island and Vermont possibly passing them through their legislature. Florida and Missouri adding medical marijuana. Georgia beginning to grow medical marijuana. Texas fighting for whole plant medical marijuana. Those victories mean so much more than capturing another El Chapo. We want to end the violence in Latin America, in Mexico. The only way to do that is legalization. You don't see Dos Equis and Corona shooting it out in the streets of Juarez. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Great.
great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. The Russ Belleville Show reminds you to never smoke and drive impaired. Hang out for a while and share. Hey, this is Willie Nelson for Norman. And I smoke pot and I like it a lot. I learned a long time ago that marijuana is a lot safer than alcohol. There's nothing wrong with the responsible use of marijuana by adults. It's time we stopped arresting and started respecting those who smoke marijuana responsibly. To learn what you can do to help, contact Normal at NORML.org or call toll-free 888-67-NORML. The Russ Belville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. Remember, friends, there's more to life than marijuana. I just can't remember what it is. Why'd I come in here? You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. All right, welcome back, everybody. Our final segment as we await the arrival of Stoner Jesus coming up at the top of the hour. Stoner Jesus, the funniest show on the net when it comes to cannabis and irreverence. <laughs> You're going to love it. Make sure you join us tomorrow on the Russ Bell Show. 3 o'clock Pacific time, we've got our regular guest from Law Enforcement Against Prohibition joining us for a segment we call Cops Say Legalized Drugs. Jay Fleming, a former undercar- undercover narc, will be joining us. He's uh former narcotics officer with Mojave Valley, Arizona, who says the drug war I fought was not about ending drug use. It was about money and power. If you haven't checked in with one of our cops, say legalized drug segments, I really encourage you to join us tomorrow because it's liberating. It's, it's invigorating and it gives you hope to know that there's cops out there who recognize this is wrong and recognize that it needs to change. Now, Unfortunately, most of them have to wait until they're no longer cops to say these kind of things. Not because they're cowards or anything, but because it's dangerous. I've heard too many stories from too many police officers. You know, this whole thing about, you know, oh, the, where's the good cops? How come the good cops don't call out the bad cops? Well, the problem is, is because when the good cop does call out the bad cops, all the other cops shun that good cop. And the next time that good cop needs some backup has some sort of dangerous uh, perpetrator on on the leash, the other cops don't show up. That is, the good cop ends up having no one to have his back. He ends up ostracized. 
So unfortunately, too many of these cops have to wait until they're no longer cops before they can start talking to us. That's some of what we have to change and some of why the war on drugs needs to end. The corruption that is always there in the drug war has eroded the public's trust in law enforcement and, for that matter, our judicial system. It's hard, it's hard to accept when you read and hear these stories day after day of people losing their basic liberties, of having prosecutors and attorneys collude. We told that story in Michigan earlier in the week about how the prosecutors were colluding with the crime labs to charge people caught with edibles for having synthetic THC in the edible rather than regular THC because regular THC is just a misdemeanor, but synthetic THC is a felony. And how do you, you know, what are you going to do? Go to the trouble of getting the crime lab to determine that, you know, the, the THC that's in your brownie is actually regular THC, not synthetic. Maybe you've got that kind of money for your defense attorney to be able to get those kind of tests done and experts uh, deposed in court, but not everybody does. Most people end up taking a plea. Some 93, 96%, I could be wrong on the exact number, but it's in the 90s percent of cases in America aren't even taken to trial. They're plea bargained. So these situations where the cops have the corruption of the drug war, the easy money they can make, swiping some evidence here or there, the corruption of our civil liberties by them recognizing how easy it is to get an arrest. Well, I just know this guy's guilty, but I don't have anything on him. I'll just say I smell weed. Or I'll plant a baggie of weed in his house or something. It's just too easy. There's just too much temptation in having contraband drugs being in the cop's arsenal. So these are things that we concentrate here on the Rest Belleville Show, things that we talk about all the time, and we're so glad that you could be here a part of it with us. And we're here every weekday. Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. You can also catch the show on demand as a podcast. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio. I think there's an RSS feed as well. Also, the news segment that I do is now its own separate podcast, Cannabis News, Cannabis Radio News, I should say. You can subscribe to that podcast and just get a quick five-minute update on the latest news every weekday. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com and Rolla J Studios in beautiful legal Potland, Oregon, I'm Radical Russ. Stay tuned. Stoner Jesus is up next. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down to all right, we're getting ready to begin our next panel, which is the new Jim Crow Marijuana Prohibition. 
Our first speaker is Harry Levine, Ph.D. from Queens College.